0: Hi everyone, I'm Abby Feeder, Certified Life and Fertility Coach, and you're listening to The Fertility Chick. This show is all about the road to parenthood, which is never the same for everyone, and our guests' professional success along the way. I think today's our first duo, our first team of people we have on. Amber and Danielle are two of the most well-loved, well-known casting directors in Los Angeles. We call them sister wives, work wives, they do everything together and they are the best of friends and also really incredible at their jobs. They are award-winning casting directors. And what do you think the chances are that they both ended up needing some sort of infertility support? Well, the chances were high because they both did. I cannot wait for you to hear their stories. We talk about all of it, what makes them a successful team, what it's like to work so closely with somebody struggling through infertility. What I didn't talk about with them, and I really wish I would have, is a new movie that's out about abortion, which Danielle actually was a writer on. And it's 15 short anthology stories about abortion since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. It's called Give Me an A. And it's 15 short films reacting to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. And it's all from female-identifying filmmakers who really wanted to make this anthology to be loud and powerful and make a meaningful statement. So I will definitely be checking that out. And in the meantime, I hope you enjoy Amber and Danielle. Welcome again to Danielle and Amber, two incredible humans who are... BFFs-ish, business partners... And have both undergone really incredible and very different fertility stories. And I want to get into all of it with you. But thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you for having us. Yes. Okay, so
0: it's funny. I think most fertility stories, when we talk about like, how did you meet your partner? So I do want to know your guys meet cute, even though it is not in terms of having children together. How did you guys meet? I don't even
1: know your story. We both worked for the same casting director at different times. And she, Amber worked for her before I did, and when I got there, I just kept hearing the the legend of Amber Horn, yes. and everybody would talk about how amazing Amber is, and I'm like, who is this girl? I need to meet. <laughs> and then we finally met, and it was like instant got along. I mean, everyone gets along with Amber. It's it's yes. if you don't, if there's a problem with you. <laughs> and, and then a, a couple of years after that, or a year or so after that, I was working for a different casting director and. One thing led to another, and I met on this independent movie and, was, and got it and was like, how do I do this? I don't know how by myself. And I called Amber and was like, will you cast this with me? And she's like, yeah, of course, let's do it. And then we did that movie. And then while we were doing that movie, she got a phone call about another movie, and then it kind of snowballed. And we were just like, okay, I guess this is a company now. I guess we're just doing it.
0: <laughs> I feel like that... How long ago was that? That was a while ago now.
1: Yeah, 2010. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. Wow. You guys have been married as long as me and Isaac. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> and did you, Amber, I'll start with you. Did you like imagine yourself in the casting
2: world? I did. When I was younger, I used to watch Full House when I was a kid and I would recognize someone on an episode of Full House and I would see them like on the Cosby show or like in the classroom, like a very small, like one-liner role. So I paid attention to, um, sorry, my voice sounds a little off. I've been sick for like a week. I'm feeling a lot better, but that's why my voice sounds like it has a frog in it. It's all good. Um, But yeah, no, I always liked casting. I didn't know it was a job when I would pay attention to it. And then when I was in film school, I have a BA in cinema and I nominated myself to be like the casting director on our senior film and nobody voted for me. And they thought I would be Mm. better as the producer, not the casting director, but I was still the one like gathering extras in the street and like begging people. We shot most of the movie in my parents' garage. So I ended up doing a lot of the casting work and I really liked it. When I first moved to LA, I worked at a management company that was also a production company. So I got to hear casting directors on the phone and realize like, oh, okay, I get it a little bit more what they do. And then I had the opportunity to work uh, at the company where I met Danielle. I worked there for like seven years, I think. And... um, Oh, wow. Yeah. The second I met Danielle, I was like, wait, you're smart, funny, awesome. We have to work together. Like in my head, it was like, you're you're my people. So it was like an instant connection, admiration I had for Danielle the second I met her. I remember thinking I like that. how awesome she is. And I was just like excited to, at the opportunity of working with like the current project we were on with her. So yeah, so it's a blessing. And that, now
0: 13 years yeah. later, I love it. And Danielle, did you always imagine yourself in casting?
1: I didn't always. It was kind of came to me a little bit later. It seemed like this like weird, cool, like, what is that job kind of a thing. I would always notice Marion Doherty's name in the credits. And I'm like, huh, she must have a great job. Like it was like a pipe dream. And I had a couple different career paths before this. And it was always in the back of my head. I thought I had wanted to be an actor in high school. And then I saw myself on camera and was like, let's pass, hard pass. But I just, I like the the idea of acting and I like everything else involved in it. Um, So this seemed like a kind of happy medium. Do you, I have so many questions about your business partnership because
0: I know that it can be really hard, business partnerships, two-person business partnerships can be really hard. How do you guys, feel like how did you set up, when you started, did you set out like this will be more on you and this will be more on you or does it become more project-based <laughs> or are you like build build the plane in the air while it's flying, figuring that's, it
1: out? That's exactly it,
2: yes. <laughs> we, had a, we had a BlackBerry, we were so broke, we had a BlackBerry that we would like share <laughs> And then we would steal the internet from the neighbor next to us. We like negotiated a rent. It was like $630 for our... We could hold hands. Danielle and I could hold hands. Our office was so small.
1: Like we couldn't Um, like like, both pull our chairs out at the same time.
2: (laughs) So we definitely... I don't know. We were just like in the trenches together and it just made our relationship so strong. So yeah, we just... Built the plane while it was in the air flying. I love that. Enough.
1: I like that metaphor. <laughs> yeah.
2: I feel
0: like that's, I feel like some people are very much that way. And some people are very like, I have to know exactly which wrench I'll be using to build the seat, to build the light, you know? And I, I think in business, especially you're one or the other, there's very little in between, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I'm also build the plane in the air, like just go, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um. Okay. So do you feel like now is the same? You still, I mean, obviously you're not winging it nearly as much, but I feel like- okay. You are in some ways because you know it works for you. And by the way, like I, let me just say, like I will have done a big introduction on who you are so everyone knows this, but let me just say, like you are very sought after casting directors and people love, love working with you. And I know both of you, so you're not going to want to like talk about this, but what do you feel like people love? Like what works so well when you guys are on a project?
1: You know what it is? It's, we love, we love the idea of like bringing somebody's vision to life and, and kind of like surprising them with things that they wouldn't have thought of on their own. Like that's really like the independent filmmaking is, is being able to cast independent movies. We get a lot of creativity. Mm -hmm. Um, And we also cast a lot of TV where we get to like, I mean, you get to give people like jobs for years. It's just kind of really exciting. And I think we are, we're really good collaborators. We're, we're very strong-minded as of, like, if we like an actor, we will make it known to our filmmakers. And if they don't agree, that's fine, too. But, like, we'll state our case. But I think we're also just really fun. Like, we don't take our anything too seriously. <laughs> yes. Like, it's not rocket science. Like Even right. if it was rocket science, it would still be, like, fun. You know, like, we'd right. still want to make it fun because we're, we're doing it every day ourselves. Uh, and yeah. I think both Amber and I really, really enjoy the casting process. And we love working with filmmakers that enjoy the casting process. Like some people you could tell right away that they're just like, let's just get this over with and get me to mm. set. And some people are like, this is the fun stuff. So like, mm. we just like getting in with, with with anybody that's like down for the fun stuff.
0: Yeah. And you think that you find the fun stuff, the sort of unexpected surprises, performances, connections that like walk in the room. What is the fun yeah. stuff for you?
1: Yeah, it's a, it's all of that. All mm-hmm. of the, the connections, somebody bringing something to a role that, you know, we'll, we're working on a project right now that has 800 self-tapes submitted, over 800. And, in uh, you know, we've been watching, <laughs> we've been watching it, watching tapes nonstop. And it's like when somebody brings something new to it, it's so exciting. It's so yeah. like, okay, something to watch, something interesting. Stand out. Standing out. Exactly.
0: And Amber, is there any any other fun piece
2: we're missing? That would be it. I mean, I think people enjoy working with us because we don't take things too seriously. We understand there's things a way bigger in life. So we don't get worried about the little things. Danielle always says, it's the right person will be there on when we start rolling the cameras like on day yes. one. Like, don't worry. Oftentimes, love when it. filmmakers come to us, they're like, I have this really hard role. It's going to be so hard to find. And we hear that so often. And we love the challenge and we love surprising them. Like she said, our other favorite thing is to give someone their very first job. So yeah. we love like that too. But yeah, Daniel.
0: Which I feel like I've seen so many videos where you guys post it's like a kid who's who you get their first <laughs> job. And it's so sweet and amazing.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And I will just say you guys just won a big award for Babysitters Club. Congratulations. Mm.
1: Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. It's our our second RDOs for Babysitters Club. We got yes. to season one and season two. But and that was we were fangirls first on, on that project. We went into that meeting. We're like, we are, I mean, we'd be so honored. And that one was another one. It was fun. Like Rachel and Lucia in the um, auditions were just like, they were into it. They were, they were fangirls too. Like it was, Mm -hmm. it was every producer in that process was really, really cool to work with. I love it.
0: Okay. So business partners love the casting. You guys have seen each other through relationships, Should we go down that road, right? Like you, I don't know if you were both fully, fully single when you started, but you've seen each other
2: through marriage, (laughs) both of you. We have so many. I mean, we have Danielle and I've had the best, 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 best nights of my life, the most fun nights of my life, everywhere, out on the town, in any city or country, literally country. We've also traveled the world together, are with Danielle. She knows all of my crazy secrets, all of our fun things when it comes to dating. Like she was my. Everything like Danielle's the one that downloaded the the, the dating app on my phone and how oh I God. even met my husband. And Danielle wrote my profile. She wrote my dating profile. <laughs> I went to the bathroom. I came back, and I was like, "Wait, I'm oh, this is real,
0: right?" <laughs> because awesome. like the the thing about having a work wife is real. Like she knows who <laughs> yeah. you need to marry. <laughs> yes.
1: Yes. yes. <laughs> Oh
2: my yes, God. And I didn't I realize to Hear all
1: meant. the dating stories. Yeah,
2: yeah. Danielle <laughs> yes. downloaded the app. She wrote the profile, and what's funny is my husband. He said that I almost didn't say yes, like click on you or whatever how it worked, um, because of what the description was. And Danielle described me like the Pharrell song "Happy," and he was like, "Yeah." I don't all know, the, the, her
1: whole profile was Pharrell wrote a song about me. Hashtag Happy. That was it. Like,
2: so yeah. And he yeah. was like, and my husband was like, oh, you know, that's a little cheesy, whatever, but she's kind of cute. So we'll go out with her, I guess. <laughs> so
0: my God. Married. And now they're married. Yeah. Wow. yeah. So it worked out. Yeah, Danielle, yes. I know I've asked you this, but tell everybody, how did you meet your husband?
1: I met my husband at a bar in Talkeetna, Alaska. I was there with two girlfriends. We were just like exploring Alaska and this was the last city on our little five day tour. And he walked in the bar and he had this giant smile and giant beard and giant sweater. And I was just like, ah, check please. That's mine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Well, that wasn't it. Like we we made out in the bar all night and then never exchanged numbers. Never um we're gonna see each other again. And then um he was friends with a couple of the other people we were chatting with at the bar. And after I got back to LA. I was like, huh? I wonder. I wonder if that guy's on Facebook. And I went and looked through one of the other people we met, and he, they were friends, Facebook friends. And so I clicked friend request, and almost immediately I get a message that just says, "Oh shit, you found me!" <laughs> <laughs> and we just started chatting on Facebook, and eventually he's like, this would be easier if you just gave me your number. And I'm like, why didn't you ask me for my number? And then, and then from there on.
0: And what was yeah. his reason? I would love to know. <laughs> uh,
1: so it was actually, a, and, I, and if it wasn't a good answer, I, I maybe wouldn't have given yeah. it. But he had been living in Alaska for about three years at the time. And he was like, you know, I've been, I've been here for three years and I'll meet women that live All over the place, and we'll exchange numbers and we'll talk for months, and then nothing ever happens. So, I just thought that's what it was going to be. And I was like, You underestimate my miles. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Her her airline miles, too. Yes. (laughs) Airline miles, that's what I meant. Oh my God.
2: (laughs) It works either way.
0: (laughs) My life. And so, yes, miles applies to several areas of the story, I feel. (laughs) did Did you both talk about having children with your partners before marriage? I mean, I feel like most people do, but I am actually surprised to find a lot of people don't,
2: yeah, early on oh, yeah, my
0: yeah, husband yeah, did yeah, yeah, you did and were you you guys were on the same page no. at the time? no <laughs> no, tell me
1: no, he never kind of he never he's a he's like hyper independent. And he is very, very outdoorsy and he, um, he's very responsible, but he doesn't like having ties being tied down kind of a thing. So, it, you know, he never kind of imagined life that way with like a family. He always wanted a partner. Um, and I was always like kind of partner first and then let's, we'll figure it out down the line. So I was pretty upfront about it. Um, I had by the, by the time we really got together, I had because we got together when we met in Alaska and then we broke up and then we got back together again. In between then, I had like a, I had a miscarriage from a one night with an ex-boyfriend and, um and then it made me very Sorry. sure of what I wanted. Thank you. It made me very sure that I'm like, okay, now I definitely a hundred percent know I want this. And so I was very, very upfront with him about it and said, you know, we can try this again, but this is, this is what I'm trying for. And um he, wanted to be with me. So he was like, all right, well, that's a different kind of adventure. Let's try it.
0: Mm. I love that.
2: I love that. And then Amber,
0: why don't you tell us what you talked about and then tell us how it went for you because let's get into your story a little bit.
2: Oh, great. So I met Tim in like 2016 and very early on into our online dating adventure that Danielle had set up, kids came up like right away and he always wanted a family. He just hadn't found the right person in LA to like really make the jump with, um, and to get into marriage. So he, um, we started dating where I was doing really good. I have was diagnosed years ago with an astrocytoma in my spinal cord. And so, um, I never really knew with all the chemotherapy and radiation and this other horrible drug that I get, um, that cuts off the blood supply everywhere. I never really knew that it was like for sure in the cards. And I was really upfront and honest with my diagnosis and Everything actually Danielle's the, the one that put me on the dating app because I didn't think anyone would want to date a girl with cancer or date a girl mm-hmm. it was a spinal cord tumor. Um, there was a period in uh, my life when I couldn't um, use my legs I couldn't my bladder mm-hmm. like I couldn't get the signal to like go to the bathroom and it was like super challenging. And so I think just like being alive and like was a little bit more important. And I kind of thought like oh no one's going to want to be with me but enter Danielle who was like, oh, hell no. Someone's going to want to be with you. I'm putting you on this app. Um, so it was good. I had been in a long relationship with just the person that wasn't my person um, during some of the hardest like, cancer trials and tribulations, really. And um, so early on, I told Tim. Tim knew everything. That was 2016. Then at the summer of... Two, that was like fall 2016. Then summer of 2017, the uh, monster started growing um, quite a bit. And so he got to um, experience that firsthand and he stayed in the hospital with me for like a month, like didn't leave my side, like never went home to shower. I ended up having another surgery where they take a piece of it out of my spinal cord. So he stayed with me in the ICU and all of that and then didn't leave my side, which was like nothing I'd ever experienced in a relationship before. So we weren't really talking about kids. When he proposed to me, I was paralyzed in the hospital, couldn't use my legs. I was like getting chemotherapy. Um, I was inpatient he proposed to me with just like the rock part of the ring, like the diamond part in this little bag. And he drew a picture and he got down on one knee, like next to my hospital bed and he was crying. I'm like, why are you crying? What's wrong? And we'd already been there for a couple weeks at this point. And he's like, I just want to let you know that I'm with you. If it's four days, four weeks, four years, I want you to know you don't have to worry about us and me leaving you because of all of this. And the very next day they accidentally overdosed me. They put in 1.0 instead of 10.0 of dilated in an IV machine for pain. And um, it put me in the ICU. My dog had come to visit that day, actually, and um to celebrate our engagement. And she, she was a pit bull, she just passed away. And her name was Amber, and my husband named her that from the shelter, which is kind of a funny story. So we called her little Amber, me lady Amber. And on the way to the ICU, the Cedar Sinai Hospital was like, "Oh no, no dogs in the ICU. It's our policy." And, and my husband, or fiance, one day old fiance, was like, "Oh, is it also your policy to, to overdose your patients?" They're like, "No, the dog can come." Okay. So my dog had <laughs> yes. to stay like
0: on my bed in the ICU, on my feet. First of all, I remember you were so open about this when it was going on, and I think that's very helpful for people. So thank you. But also, like so much of the journey of infertility is about maintaining hope. Through despair, right? Like, we often feel very hopeless. Like, what we want is not going to happen. Did you feel hope in that? Because, like, happy is you and you are happy. And I remember you were even working without movement of your legs and you were just like, yeah, whatever. Who's next in the room? You know? And it's incredible. And I know you have a strong family support system. And obviously, Tim was a rock, but like, what were your ways of keeping hope or didn't you? And it just looked like you did.
2: I think I did. So I have a cancer rehab doctor at Cedars. His name's Dr. Asher. He's amazing. And he kind of oversees people, the beginning, middle and end of cancer. And sometimes that's very fast for people. We actually, I had a friend, we shared him as a doctor and she passed away about a year and a half ago. Mm -hmm. And she lived in Venice that I met through a a friend of ours, um, Lauren, who created a bunch of shows. But so it was interesting. I would talk to her a lot about that. She was really the only other person at the time that I was like, going through hard stuff like doing chemo and she was like a lot worse off and we would joke and through humor and like um just knowing that there's always light at the end of the tunnel and i don't know where i got this from but sometimes the pain was so bad that i asked them to amputate my leg and they came in to explain to me that even if they amputate the leg cuz the cancer's in the spinal cord i'm still going to feel the horrible nerve pain um i gave myself like second third degree burns all up and down my leg because i was putting ice on it secretly i wasn't supposed to put ice On it for more than 20 minutes and I would put straight ice on it to try to help the pain. I would do anything and it would burn, blister my skin and it would burn and then scab. And when you're on um, steroids and this other drug, Avastin, it like causes things to like heal real slowly. And so that I think was at my like worst and Tim experienced that with me. Um, So I feel like we kind of felt like we'd been through any, we'd been through the worst, right? So when it came to fertility, It was like, oh my God, we've been through literally hell and back. Um, And so let's go find out. We went to a reproductive endocrinologist um, who I think, you know, Carrie Wambach and had a meeting with her. Mm -hmm. And she was like, hey, well, we don't, I don't even know if this is possible with everything that you've been through. Let's go try. And that was kind of always my attitude. I don't know where I got this part from, but I would say, I would just focus on a minute when the pain was so bad. I would say, just get through the next 60 seconds, like just breathe. Mm -hmm. And then like five minutes, and I couldn't think about like a week from now or a month from now or a year from now because that seemed like way too much. Because in the moment, I'm literally asking them to cut my leg off. So I think like just being present and just trying to get through now and not worry about next week or not worry about next mm-hmm. month really helped me. I don't know where I got that from. No one, no coping, no person like helped me with that coping mechanism, but it's applied to so many places in my life. So when you say like, I'm really happy. I'm just happy I can pee on my own today. And when I say yes. that, like I'm so happy I can walk to the bathroom and pee because I know what that's like to be taken away from you. So it's really hard to have a bad day when I'm sitting in an audition room and I get to be at work and I get to be around people I love. Like it was hard to have a bad day, you know, mm. Um, mm. because you, because I'd already experienced the. the I, I wasn't so much pain. Tim would have to lay on me because I actually couldn't breathe and air. They would take me to the PACU unit and give me ketamine infusions And like make me knock me unconscious to try everything just to get me some relief of pain. Um, So yeah, so everything else was like, that's why Danielle and I joke with casting, like people will be complaining about something and I'm like, okay, yes, I get it. I get that's important to you, but like, it's not that big of a deal. Can you
0: stand up and pee? Then you have nothing (laughs) to say. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So I think that was a big thing is like having a positive attitude. But Dr. Asher would say to patients, they had me speak. I was one of the keynote speakers at Cancer Survivor Day a couple of years ago at the Sofitel. Well, actually actually the year Tim and I met, which was funny. Um, he jokes that the reason we, we I threw away the walker and the and the wheelchair and all these things and he jokes that we're never throwing any of that away because the tumor started growing again after I'd thrown all of that away. <laughs> but um Dr. Asher says that he meets people and they're either half glass full or half glass empty people right away. And yes, they you go through horrible times where like you you feel like um we're all at the worst of it. He said, but the people that kind of have the half half glass full attitude in life, they always fare better. They always live longer. They always recover better. Mm. And he says, we've done a lot of research on it. Um, And so that was just like interesting to hear too. And I think you can apply it to pretty much anything, especially fertility. It's it's exhausting. Yeah.
0: I think it's so hard sometimes in the fertility world, you feel pressure to stay positive. And it's very, I mean, again, it's universal. I can't imagine having a spinal tumor and staying positive or feeling like everyone else is telling me to stay positive. Mm -hmm. And it's a lot of pressure sometimes, but I think the do it for a minute, then maybe do it for five, then maybe Mm -hmm. do it for 10
2: is so Mm
0: -hmm.
2: smart. So Yeah. I don't know where that comes from, but it it works. And I've told people that before, if they're going through like loss of of a family member, anything you're going through, don't think about next week, next month. It's too much. Just try to get through the next 60 seconds, you know? So good. And did you even consider when this had started any sort of fertility preservation? <laughs> I have a funny story about that. When I very first was told I had to start chemo, my neuro-oncologist was like, you have one period cycle. We have to start this immediately. Like there's no, like you need to go to this place in Westwood. So I wasn't dating anyone at the time. My mom went with me to this fertility center. I wish I remember the name of it. I met with this really nice woman where I'm like, he told me I have one I have one month to to try this and then we have to start. I can't wait any longer. And the lady sent us home with a CD-ROM at the time. So this was like my first, I guess, I started chemo and radiation in 2014. So it was probably like 2013-ish maybe. Um, They sent me home with a CD and I remember telling my friends on there, the fertility clinic was like, oh, there are um, all these men that go to UCLA that have donated sperm. And I I encourage you not to freeze just eggs, but freeze embryos was what she was trying to convince me of. But she wanted me to just pick one of these random people off of this DVD when I had just found out. Oh, you're right. CD. When I had just found out that I needed to start chemotherapy. And so I was very overwhelmed. I went home crying, being like, they want me to blindly pick out who my baby's going to be now. Um, So I didn't do it at the time. And she didn't. Mm -hmm. At the time, I think they were just getting information that freezing eggs wouldn't be super successful. I was I don't even know how old I was at the time. Was I twenty six? No. I was twenty nine, I guess. Something something right around there. I think it was before. I think it was
1: before we became partners. I feel like that story was like
2: Was it earlier than that?
1: Before yeah, um so. so my first was surgery was in ago.
2: 2012 okay so maybe it was like 2011 it was right around that time maybe it was a little 2011
0: 12 is like right when they cleared eggs or right when they were like eggs actually have a good a better not better but as good of a chance as embryos and oh really so it's possible if it,
2: yeah it was like right around 2012 okay, okay then that yeah. makes sense because the first surgery was in 2012 so it's probably right around there yeah. um but yeah I was like nope can't do this I didn't even put the the cd-rom in the computer to like look at the profiles yeah. I just yes. plowed ahead. Yeah.
0: Okay. So cut to you're married. Yeah, Tim we're married. That, yeah. Yes. We got he knows married. that there's a chance you might not have kids. So tell me like, yeah. how that went down. We got
2: married uh, November, 2019. We set up a fertility appointment to go. Um, Danielle's the one that told me the name of it, right? Aren't you the one? Oh, my friend Bianca told me the name of the place. Yeah. yeah you gave me, um, you gave me the name. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so my friend Bianca had done a ton of research. She was going to Dr. Carrie Wombach. I called, made an appointment. We went in like end of middle of January or something of 2020, she um, talked to us. She told us, I don't know, until I like look and see like what's going on and kind of do a few medical exams and figure things out. And in that same meeting, she said, I also want to tell you guys about surrogacy. She told us that one of her children was born via surrogacy. We'd never even heard really much about surrogacy. I thought that something like fancy rich people did didn't really think about it at the time because we hadn't thought much about it. Again, there were so many other bigger fish to fry. And, um, when we, she went for the exam, she's like, well, actually you have a bunch of, um, follicles and I think we should just jump on this and do it as soon as possible. Um, so my first retrieval was March 14th, I think of the eggs, which was like, uh, the world shut down that day. Um, so like on the way... On the way, like leading up to like the retrieval, freeways were shut down. I have pictures going to her office off San Vicente, in like Beverly Hills, and there wasn't like one other car on the freeway. And we would go to these like seven a.m. appointments, like the days leading up to it. And um, she took out thirteen eggs; only one one uh, survived. They they encouraged us to genetically test them, which several of them didn't make it through that. So I had one. And then I took a break for a month and then um, did it again, <laughs> still smacked out of the middle of the pandemic.
1: Um, and Which then you're we... lucky,
0: by the way, because a lot of people had canceled cycles, including at Wambach's office. Like it really depended where, if you had started already, you kind of got lucky. So you, yeah. your timing was a little bit divine in some ways. It
2: was. Yeah. It was definitely divine. And she um, was awesome. Like she was just really, really great and supportive through the process, Dr. Wambach was. By the way, her
0: episode will have aired by the time yours is out. Today. Oh, so cool. Everybody will know her. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> she
2: was really great um, in explaining things and, and setting up expectations and stuff. And then kept also like lightly mentioning the surrogacy thing to us as well. So we talked a little bit about it. We investigated a little bit, but it seemed like very expensive. But Carrie's actual surrogate his name is named Jessica, and she started her yeah. own company. And that's who we went with. I remember a very clear as day, like sitting in the office with Carrie, being like, Can you write down a name of a Surrogacy agency, we've received like 50 of them. And she's like, here's the one you need. She like wrote it down for me. She's like, just call her. She was my surrogate. So I called her um, and she was great guiding us through the process. But the second retrieval we did was like in May, I had a really horrible um, reaction after that. My stomach got really huge. I was in horrible pain and everything. And so I was like, I'm never doing this again. (laughs) The first one was easy. And the second one was like the worst pains in my stomach for like a couple of days after And um, nothing like nerve pain in my leg, but it was like, okay, I'm not going through this again. (laughs) And so- You
0: didn't want to amputate amputate your stomach. Yeah, Yeah. no, it wasn't like that,
2: yeah. And so um, the second one, I remember sitting at the dog park and she said, do you want to know the sex of the embryo? And I was like, oh, I should wait till I get home, which I'm like five minutes away from home. I'm like, yeah, just tell me. And she told me because you could hear like excitement in her voice. And she was like, it's a girl. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so excited. So I like grabbed my dog and like raced home and told um, Tim, our first embryo was a boy, but Carrie encouraged us to do it again because we only had the one and they grade them like letters. And he was a BB and the girl was an AB. So she was like encouraging us. There's like a little bit higher percentage, I guess, of that one taking. So yeah, that's like kind of big. Picture.
0: Yes. Okay. So Jessica, who's amazing, helped you find your surrogate. Mm-hmm. And Danielle, don't worry, we are going to get back to you. <laughs> okay. like so much.
1: Okay. Her story is way better than mine.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> they're really they're good. <laughs> They're yeah. different. So you met your surrogate and how, was your surrogate local yeah. or far So it was away? like
2: total pandemic, right? We financially first had to like figure out it was very, very expensive. Yes, I think the whole thing was like $110,000. And so I immediately was like, well, how are we going to raise this money? So I started teaching classes on Zoom, teaching actors how to use Zoom for callbacks, and chemistry reads, and saved a bunch of money. I used to teach in 2007, 8, like during the writer's strike, like a long time ago. And I just love <laughs> it so much. So It was great. I was getting to spend time with young actors on Zoom and I was able to save, save, save so we could um, put a bunch of money in an escrow account to even get the surrogate. When um, Jessica, when we first talked with her, she was so lovely and amazing. She, uh, how that works is they only send you one profile at a time. And the first profile that they sent us, you know, I'm super positive. I was like, okay, it's okay. It's good, right? And I was like, but in my mind, like doubting so many things just didn't click for me. Um, I think she sent over like three paper profiles and we kind of thought about it, thought about it. And then there was one that just seemed like a really nice kind human. We zoomed with her and she was in her backyard. She lives up in the San Francisco area also. And we just clicked right away. She was, she's the only person we actually chatted with on zoom. I mean, I was like sign, sealed, delivered. She was our person within like five minutes of meeting her. Um, and other people were like, did you ask this? Did you ask this? And I'm like, it doesn't matter because we are casting directors. That's what we do for a living. We meet people, have so an, smart. Instant, an instant thought reaction about someone. And you could just tell she was a great person, had a big heart. She was laughing a bunch. And um, that was important to me that my baby was in a body that someone had my same like essence of like, you mm-hmm. know, kind of go with the flow. Yeah. So it was great. And that's who we went with. There were um, a few like, it just took forever. So by the time we met her in August on Zoom, met her in person when she came for an exam down to LA in November and the transfer happened in May. Yeah. And our baby yeah. was born um, during the pandemic. Also our surrogate had COVID. She got COVID at like 36 weeks, I think. Um, oh so yeah. So she had to um, go in get extra. She was very, very sick. Um, 36 or 37 weeks, like right around that time. And so that was super scary. Our bags were packed by the door being like, we're we going out. It's happening now. It's happening now. So getting through that. So when she delivered, they actually had to have her in an air pressure room. So once you go into that room, you can't leave again. So like once her husband was in there, you couldn't leave again. Um, I had to be fully masked, fully like covered in everything to go in there um, because she was still testing positive when she was admitted. Although I don't, she was feeling like a much, much better and that was hard because only I could go into the room. Tim couldn't go. So if we have another one, if if we're talking about all of it right now, Tim would be the one to go in. And hopefully COVID yeah. will be an issue if both could go in. But. Right, right. Well, that was already also
0: probably pre-vaccine or like, you know, it's a different beast now, even
2: yeah, no, the, vaccine like the first was vaccine. Out. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It was that first, yeah. yeah, the first one was out and it was all about like, oh, do we get it? Do we not get it? Our surrogate was not vaccinated. She is now but she was not at the time during the pregnancy and stuff, yeah. Amazing. And you had transferred the girl. Yeah, we transferred. Actually, the night before the transfer, we didn't for sure know which one Carrie was going to do. My husband really wanted to have a boy first. Um, and he was, like, excited about the boy be- being a dad to a boy. And he loves our little girl, by the way. But he was just thinking, yes. like, that would be that would be best. And Carrie, uh, we talked to her the night before the transfer, and she was like, "Well, this is the stronger embryo. It's best to go with the stronger embryo if you can." So I was excited about that. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was excited yeah. to have a girl. And is baby boy still on ice? Yes. So we're in the process right now of kind of figuring out what we would do next. I had a, a few tumor symptoms like come up recently, so. We kind of put the brakes on a little bit. Actually, Jessica was texting me this morning saying, any news? I'm talking to my oncologist today at 3.30 to kind of go over a recent scan I had last week. But we're kind of, uh, yeah, in that space right now of like figuring it out. Mm. (laughs) Yes. Mm. But he's on
0: Okay, that's so exciting. Is there anything like super surprising that, happened with your surrogate. For example, when we had gone down the road of surrogate, which we ended up not taking, there was like a budget line for like child care for their kids or mm-hmm. maternity clothes, just things that you don't think about um, mm-hmm. that were so surprising to me. And part of why the expense is so high. Is there anything else that you were just like, what the, and of course it makes sense, but you didn't sort of anticipate.
1: Especially yeah, no. also, sorry to, to chime in, but like, Also, having a surrogate, they were in LA, and the surrogate was in San Francisco. Like, and so you have to, she has to come see your doctor. So she's got to come down. You in the beginning, all that too. Yeah,
2: Yeah. for sure. In the beginning, she until she was released from Carrie's care. I think was the first like ten weeks. Well, one surprise, speaking of like twins in your life, is when they do that first blood test. Our number was like twenty four hundred or something. Like it was, it was like really through the roof, and then it went even higher and whoever called to tell us that number was like, we see this in multiples often. And my husband and I were out of the country at the time and we bought two stuffed animals being like, well, I guess, and my sisters are identical twins. So I didn't really want multiples because my mom had always said that she felt guilty sometimes because she felt like one baby needed something and then one baby needed something. And she felt like she wasn't hundred percent present because it was hard. So I had that in my head growing up with twins, just being like, okay, great. If it's God's plan, great. But if not, you know, so, but surprising, I would say I was so, so excited. I mean, there were scary moments. Like she went for a test, like before the 20 week test, she was seeing someone like her normal OB up there. And they said that the baby had heart block which had never heard that term before. And that she needed immediately to go to a high risk person that fertil- that doctor up there sent the video, I guess, of the heart to someone and they got her the next day. So that was hard because I couldn't be there because of COVID at the time, they didn't allow anyone else in there unless it was like totally necessary. So I was on like video chat with her, why this doctor's in there looking for this thing called heart block. And about 30 minutes into the FaceTime, the doctor comes in and was like, Baby's perfect. There's no heart block. The baby was squeezing the umbilical cord, which was causing this thing to look like heart block. So there were a few things like that that were surprising in how I felt like immediately, even though this baby wasn't in me, I never cried so hard in my life, even over my cancer or any family member, but that 24 hour period between hearing about this thing I'd never heard of before, loving something so much. So that was really surprising. As far as like line items and things go, I was just so thankful. That some amazing saint of a human was did such a selfless thing to like care for my baby we would try to send her like organic fruits and vegetables and like always be like what do you need what do you need she was just amazing she had to send headphones that she could put on the belly and like tim would read books and like so the baby could hear tim's voice so there wasn't anything like that that was like really surprising because all of it was new so all of it was surprising really going through it again i feel like i don't know no one's ever asked me about going through surrogacy really so i felt like if i knew someone going through it i could now say like hey maybe here's some things to like ask or look out for for the future just so you can you know know, be prepared for. But yeah. And one big thing about surrogacy, I will say that I didn't realize is that when you're pregnant for nine months, this thing is growing in you every day and getting bigger. And it's a 24 seven reminder when someone else is having a baby for you, there might be a day that goes by where I'm like, Oh, right. We're having a baby in like two months. Right. And also you're missing that information that you get just going to normal checkups or going to the doctor or whatever. They give a lot of information to pregnant women that we never had. So I never knew. So I found myself just having to like research things on my own a little bit. Like, what do you think about these diapers and these bottles and things? Because it was all these things that I hadn't really had that normal nesting period. And so that was interesting, but all of it was surprising.
0: (laughs) Yeah, sure.
2: And so she just, she turned one a little while ago, right? She did. I just heard her walking, crying, walking by with my sisters here watching her today. Um, But yes, I'll have her do an appearance. I'll I'll have my sister bring her in here. Okay.
0: Okay. Total miracle. I love it. Just all of it. Are you going to have a relationship? Do do you decide with the surrogate ahead of time, whether it'll be open or closed afterwards?
2: Well, you talk about best intentions, I think. And then the contract that's in there, that's definitely a line in there. I just want to be complete. I'm open book about my life anyways. So I want Alex to feel the same confidence and being open and proud of who you are, where you came from. Without this amazing surrogate, she wouldn't be here without someone. And so, yes, I want them to have a relationship. Danielle was actually with me when we got to see her in the fall. She came to visit, Danielle did, and the surrogate and her husband also came. And that was really awesome, Like seeing them together. We went to a restaurant, we went to a Dallas Cowboy game and had like a lot of fun seeing her. But absolutely, we're going... My husband works for Skywalker Sound, which is up in the Bay Area. We have to go in May. And I'm planning to reach out to her to to be like, hey, let's go do lunch or picnic or something fun. Amazing.
0: Amazing. Okay. I, Danielle, I want to get your story in too. Amber, thank you for being such an open book about that. So Danielle, still in the middle of your journey at this
1: moment. I, mean, I don't know about middle, but like still in the journey. Yeah. Still in the
0: journey. Okay. Yeah. So for you, it was very different. So different. So let's talk about where you started and then where you are now.
1: Sure. So I kind of always I'm a little bit of an avoider of the future. Like like whatever happens, happens. It's in the universe's plan, kind of a thought process. I was very focused on finding a partner and and wanted that before I figured out the rest of it. So I kind of ignored everything else as far as like the fact that I'm old. And I would go to my old my OBGYN that I had for many, many years that's now retired because he was so old. I would ask him once in a while, like I'd go on a regular pap smear. Everything was always normal. And I'd be like, should I, should I be checking this out? Like, should I be worried? Like, I'm..." and he'd be like, you're fine, you're fine. And I'm like, okay, you're saying that. And like, in my 30s, I looked younger. So I'm like, you're looking at me like I'm fine. But like, look at my chart. I'm in my mid to late 30s. Like, should I be checking this out? And we had done a, he did one test where he checked follicles and it was like a good number. So he was like, I wouldn't be too worried. So then I was like, okay, you know, I'm always, I have a, a, open to adoption. I'm open to all sorts of plans, but I was single for a really long time. So it was really very much more focused on finding the love of my life. So when I got together with my partner, cut to, like we broke up for a little bit. And then I had, like I mentioned before, I had a, a, a surprise miscarriage at, Forty, and and was all of a sudden like okay, I definitely want to figure this out. And then when my husband came back into my life, and I wanted to start thinking about this, figure this out at some point, we had gotten back together. It was before Amber; you were married in twenty nineteen. It was like the summer of twenty, spring of twenty nineteen. And then I had a, I went on a big trip for New Year's twenty twenty without him with some friends. And then when I got back, I was like, "Wait, my I should have gotten my period by now." And i I remember i had I had flown back. To, I stayed with my I went to see my family and then I went back to l a. And when I was with my family, I'm like, I'm with my mom, and I'm like, I'm like five days late. Like that's a long time for me. I was very, always very, very regular. But I also came back from like this like adventure trip in Morocco where I'm like I ate weird things like sure, it could be know, a million things. It yeah. could be a million things I'm not thinking about it. And I got back to LA and and Stu, my husband was staying with me in LA at the time and I went and took a pregnancy test and I was like, wow, I'm pregnant. And then it kind of got very real and we like talked a lot about it. Because we never, like, but this we didn't was from
0: have, the ex, right? This was from yeah, this the
1: ex. This is now, this is my second one. So this him. is with him. Yeah.
0: I was like, oh, that's an awkward moment. Okay, yeah, great. No, no, no. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Is, okay. Yeah,
1: no, this is with him. And he had come with me to New York that Christmas to, to meet my family, to family. hang out with my family and everything. And then I went on to Morocco. He went back to LA to stay at my, a crash at my place. And that was when it all, like, kind of, I was like, oh, well, yes, yes, we, Yes, this is, this is what happened at my parents' house. So we kind of then were dealing with this together. Like, okay, we got to make a plan. Like I live in an apartment in Marina Del Rey with two roommates. Like we've got to figure something out. And then we started looking at like where we would want to live and figuring all that stuff out. And then I, I have doctor appointment, doctor appointment. And I realized like it wasn't viable. And it was Valentine's Day 2020 that I had to get a DNC. And oh. um, it was awful. It... I will say and I'm sure you've, you've covered this before but like the the passing the first miscarriage I had when I passed naturally was the most pain I've ever felt like physical emotional all of it the second one with the DNC it was physically painful I I didn't know this my doctor does it in his office with just like painkillers he doesn't put you under like mm-hmm. I've had I've known people that are like what I had to go to a hospital I went under I didn't know. So it was, it was pretty painful, but not nearly as painful as passing naturally. And it was painful that it was like, this is my person now. And this is, you know, with the first one, I was like, right. I don't want to have a baby with this guy, but I right. guess I'll just Almost have the a baby. little
0: bit of a relief, kind so, of. How, like, like, well, well took care of it itself. was,
1: it's very interesting because with the first one, I was like, I was very much in my head about it. I didn't, I knew for sure I didn't want to be with my ex. Mm-hmm. That was not an option. I loved him as a person. So I didn't mind like, his genetics being involved, but he was also like extremely not in the place to be, which was fine. And I was like, I, at the at the time, I'm like, I can take care of this baby. I had, that is not the problem. But I had a, I had a weird mental block about being a single pregnant woman. That to me was very, very hard to face. And I don't know what that was about. Like I, being a single mom didn't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> but, being, but- But being a single pregnant woman really bothered me. I felt like those were the things that you wanted to have a partner to like experience everything with. And I knew I have such a big support group, family and friends that like being a single mom, I'm like, I'll have moments with everybody covered. I wasn't worried, but it was, yeah. And I, and this was, I was 40. So it would have been like 2000, whatever. It was like a few years, it was like six years ago. There was nothing I could find online. Nothing like I would, I would research like, Has anybody else gone through this? Obviously people have, but there wasn't a lot of talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I was searching, constantly searching like for just information. So then after I had the second miscarriage, I was like, all right, this is it. We're charging forward. We got to, I'm not getting younger. We got to make, figure this out. And I went and I got, both of you guys recommended Dr. Wambach Mm -hmm. and I went to see her. She did a test on me that nobody had done on my uterus to realize I had a septum in my uterus. Which, if you know what that is, like it could block the blood flow to an embryo. So that, so there, nobody knew why the embryo, both of my miscarriages happened. I didn't have any testing done to know why. I just assumed it was old eggs. But now Dr. Wombach was like, okay, you have the septum, like that could have been a part of it. So I was like, oh my gosh, a solution. Okay. Yeah. Uh, however, I saw her, I reached out to her right after Amber got her first harvest and it was COVID. So it was, yes. I I didn't, I wasn't able to get in for months. And so by the time I got in and she realized that was the case, I wasn't able to get the surgery until October of that year of uh, 2020. So, but that whole was time like about around your birthday, I feel like, right? Yeah. That whole yeah. time I'm like, shouldn't we be, just taking my eggs out in the meantime, like, shouldn't we like, but she was very much like, let's do this first. Let's, this is the process. So I did that. And then I moved four hours away from LA. So that was also its own challenge. And then I would come down and get, every time I would go in to get my follicles checked, it was very, very low. I had a very low AMH. It was like Point oh something 0. 0.0 whatever she'd given me a bunch of supplements to take so after taking those it maybe went up from like 0. 0.05 to like 0. 0.06 or something it was still unbelievably low like to wow. the point where they were like we can't believe you even got pregnant yeah I still I would have like one or two follicles one or two here or there in my mind I had this kind of number of like I need to have more than three to actually go through a retrieval. So I didn't have that number. And if I did, there was a cyst every time. So every time I went in, there would be either low follicles or a cyst. So after the surgery, I think I had already been talking to you a little bit. Yeah, Um, Mm And you brought up PRP, which is mm-hmm. where they basically—I probably can't explain it as well you're as too, you. Can. Yeah,
0: you're great. Platelet-rich <laughs> like plasma, where they like yeah. inject your something There's uterine, there's ovarian, there's all different kinds.
1: Yeah, and this they, was ovarian. Like, yeah, and they take out your red blood cells and they like you know pump it up or add human growth hormone. Yeah. I don't know. I was all I was all sorts of like give me whatever hormones you got. Yeah, I was doing all of it. I had done like. I had done a trigger shot one cycle. I had done all anything that anybody suggested. I'm like, yeah, let's try it. Because I'm in generally good health. So it was like, really just... And he, we all got tested. We got tested. He got tested. Everybody like Everything was fine. So it was basically like, your eggs are old. Like, you're old now. So that was pretty much it. So there was only one doctor who does this PRP. Dr. Rombach didn't do it. So I talked to her about it. And she was like, hey, if you want to try it, I, I have no... So Dr. Najmabadi does this PRP. And the first time he did it, it's basically like supposed to help for two to f- two to four months you see the results. And after that, I had like seven follicles. Like it, it really, really made a difference. We did a retrieval. They got four eggs, two of them fertilized, and then they didn't grow. But because that was such a big... Oh, I had the seven follicles, but I had a cyst. But because of the seven follicles, I was like... Well, let's get rid of that cyst. Mm-hmm. Let's just whatever, uh, aspirate. Like I drain it's it. it, yeah, aspirate, yeah. yeah. So he, that's what he did. So he did, he got rid of the cyst. He got the follicles, he got the eggs. But because that went so well, I'm like, let's do it again. So I did it again. You what, left uh, out that we December. checked into
2: a fancy hotel. <laughs>
1: Oh, right. Yeah. So neither of us were living in that proper anymore. That's right. So Amber's like, let's do this right. <laughs> and we checked in. We checked into a hotel that we get into the room. It's like a giant suite. Like I've lived in smaller apartments. And we walk in, and the pillows have her initials on embroidered on them. I'm like, you fancy oh. girl. Wow. <laughs> Amber's Amber's really like gotten me to appreciate a nice hotel. Um but I
2: wanted to spoil it. her like after she had the PCP or the plasma <laughs> P- cosmo- yeah, yeah. that yeah. she, we could get room service and just chill and like, you know. So nice. I, I almost just said I cuddle, did. but not cuddle, but you know what I mean? Like <laughs> be all cut cozy and just <laughs> emotionally like, cuddle. <laughs> yeah, emotionally cuddle.
1: I should actually talk about before the I I when I decided to go with Dr. Naj for the retrieval, I had to get my husband was living. Right. Away, He was living in Alaska. So I had to get this, I had to get his samples from one doctor to the other doctor. Yep. So Amber is driving me around town. I have this giant, I have a picture of it. I have this giant <laughs> tank. tank of sperm <laughs> in the back of her car. <laughs> oh my god! And we had to drive from one side of the town to the other. Like Redondo um, like to is- Beverly Hills. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, like what, what we do for... It's funny uh,
0: because I did the opposite. I drove in a giant tank that was like stuck between Isaac's legs because I was too scared to be close to it. I was like, what if I like knock them out of there? You know, Aww. we had to drive our embryos from Naj to Redondo Beach. It was, exa- and yes. it was also on Valentine's Day. And I was like, one day I'm going to write an autobiography that's called like, <laughs> this one Valentine's Day, I took my embryos to the beach or something, but it was like so <laughs> ironic and weird. Yes. That you can't even like process what's happening. I yeah. love it. And, and I, I had not like Amber,
1: precious cargo Amber. There, like we just laughed the whole way. Thank God. Like otherwise, I'd be like, you know, I don't even know what yeah. kind of state I'd be in. But but we made the we really made the best of it. And in between, I don't even I don't know the timeline anymore. I did go the ro- the route of the known donor with a, a relative that it, it just didn't pan out. But that was also hard because I thought maybe that was going to be my last shot. So like every single. And I by think- the way,
0: let me just say like all of these things you're mentioning and then I did this and then I did this are huge things. It's not huge. like you just did them lightly. No. You had to decide, <laughs> am I okay with a donor? <laughs> yeah. Do I want the donor to be known? Yeah. Very surprised when it didn't work out with the donor. I mean, Very, those are yeah. huge, pivotal devastating moments so i don't want to like just move past them but you are still going at
1: it yeah that one was very tough for me because it was like i thought this was the answer you know like every step you're just like okay this is going to be what what works and so when it doesn't it's devastating it's really devastating and so i did the i did another prp in december the last ultrasound the last two ultrasounds cysts so and like not any follicles so now it's like I was just kind of in this waiting period of just taking getting ultrasounds and seeing what's out there. And I had said to my husband, like, I'm like, all right, I'm um, this is what I'm I'm doing this PRP one more time. And if I get enough follicles, I'm going to try one more retrieval. And then I'm I've got to just say, like, let it go because yeah. I'm 46. Like it's it's not that it's impossible, obviously. Um, and he was a little tentative because he saw how upset I was every time. Yeah. Like he was yeah he just he's like you know the doctor was very clear about the statistics i'm like oh i know like yeah. i know i get the statistics i read every bit of research i could find i know this the odds are against me but until they're impossible like i want right. i've i've tried everything
0: tried everything even if they is...
1: even if the percentage is 0.05 like yeah it's still there like i feel very like dumb and dumber where it's like so you're saying there's a chance yes <laughs>
0: But it is, but it's I'm true. Like, you I, don't want to wake up one day and be like, what if I just would have done that one thing?
1: Yeah. Well, like oh, I, I wake up today, like I wake up every day, like I wish I did. I wish I got my eggs when I was 30. I wish, yeah. you know, like not that that would have necessarily been the answer. I might not have any still to this day. Like there's, it's still an unknown, but I do w- And I also probably couldn't have afforded it back then yeah. too, Yeah. is the other thing. Like even though Amber and I have amazing insurance, like yeah. it doesn't cover any of this. I know. Literally, my accountant was like, we were going over with tax last year. He's like, you have over like 34000 in medicals out of pocket. Are you okay? Yep. And I'm like, yeah. oh, that's all fertility.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: He was like, holy crap.
0: Dude, but my I'm kids like, are four and a half. I'm still paying off bills from fertility treatment. I mean, I yeah. had to. It was like, yeah. because I was like, one day I can make more money. I can't make more eggs. And that's right. always sort of how I look at it.
2: Exactly,
1: exactly. You know, we're looking true. into getting... And,
2: and, a medical loan. I'm just talking about money. Yeah, like it's so expensive. Yeah. So yeah. that's also a kind of a big challenge um, right now. Yes. Of figuring that figuring that out too, because you want a little bit of a saving. You don't want to deplete your savings in case there's a earthquake or tornado or whatever, or a major totally. medical issue where you need that savings. You know,
0: right. Yeah. And now you have one child, so I feel like. Before kids, I was more willing to throw away savings. Not throw away, but invest mm-hmm, yeah. savings in something that had no guarantee. But at this point, when you're caring for a mm-hmm. child, it's very different frame mm-hmm. of mind. Okay, so you're in a waiting period. Yeah. You're giving it at one more shot.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm pulling for you, as you know. We we talk often about it. But you're doing everything right. And that's... I just... I hope that one day, whatever happens, you know that you did everything you could. And yeah. you did everything right. You really that's did. That's how I
1: feel. I feel like if I... I, I now that i like once i set my mind to it i was like all right this is what we're doing like once yeah. i kind of had the plan of action i think it's because like i'm not necessarily like a let's set goals we'll do this in 5 years like that's not how i operate and and maybe i should have like there's a little bit of me where i'm like if i really sat down with myself back then and thought about it and was like no you're going to want a family but because i didn't have a partner i was like I don't know that. Like, I don't, I just, I just couldn't see past that. So, but if I did really sit down with it, I I would have been like, set yourself up. Like, set yourself up to win, which I now, now is so much more of a common thing you hear. And I've listened to podcasts of people like, no, this is my insurance policy. Right. Is like, right. I'm doing this Which, now. Which, by the
0: way, like, I think that's so great. I jokingly, like, my kid, uh, my daughter for her, like, 25th birthday will definitely get an egg retrieval. Yeah. And I <laughs> think it's great. But it's also, we have to also talk about the fact that it's not always an insurance policy. Because I think now every woman yeah. is like, oh, I'll just freeze them and we're good. Like, yeah. you have to get a certain number. They'd have to be a certain quality. Right. Like, it's not a, still nothing. That's what's so frustrating about this process. Like, still nothing is a guarantee.
1: Yeah, you know? I have had, I've, I mean, the amount of friends I know that went through retrievals and didn't get anything. The yeah. amount of people of stories of secondhand stories I've heard of like, I did freeze my eggs. And then when I met my partner, I they didn't they did they weren't viable. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, there is never any guarantee. That's, that's the, that's what's crazy about this. I did see a meme the other day that so resonated. That was, uh, it is like nature's cruel joke that pregnancy, uh, um, Symptoms and period symptoms are the same thing. Yes. Like that the is... Worst
0: mindfuck of them all. It is
1: the worst mindfuck. Yes. But that's also like, there's there's no guarantees in anything. You always have to have that in the back of your head. And that's mm-hmm. really frustrating.
0: Yeah. You guys literally define work wives like in every way. <laughs> I just picture you like having a little pillow fight in AH, <laughs> I- in this monogrammed pillows at
2: a fancy hotel. <laughs> Which and, is also like, like, our like, business who's, initials, who's, like off zero yes. porn. <laughs>
0: Yes, I love that. Um, that's like my kids' first names are A and M, which I literally didn't think how that's also my initials. So, like everything that I already have, this is AMN. I'm like, yeah, it's for my kids. Not at all. It's totally for me. Um, it's like super convenient. Um, is there any? I always like to ask people, is there any either like saying, phrase, cliche, advice, like anything that you think about? And it could be not in the realm of fertility or work, but that you sort of carry with you that you think about sometimes that you want to share?
1: Hmm. That's good. Um,
0: Like I'll tell you one that Isaac gave me actually during our journey when I was having a lot of problems with friendship relationships. And he was like, it's a cliche that I'd never heard of. And now I hear all the time, which is like a reason, a season, or a lifetime. People come into your life mm -hmm. for a reason or a season or a lifetime. And it actually just makes things really easy for me sometimes where I'm like, oh, that was actually for a season, but I thought it was going to be for a lifetime and it just wasn't. And that's okay. So Mm. release. And I take that with me into like every part of my life now. So I'm curious if there's anything.
1: That's, that's actually a very good lesson. It's, it's funny. Something that my husband's very good at. I told him this the other day. I'm like, God, you don't dwell on anything. Like Mm. he's just so good. Like if we have like a bicker about something like he's literally over it a second later and I'm like days later, like, but what about that thing? And like, it's just like the way I've always been about everything. And I'm like, God, why? That that serves zero purpose. It's never served a purpose for me. So it's like, I'm trying to, I'm trying to like live in that stop dwelling um, space.
2: Mm -hmm. It's hard. It's hard. It's It's hard.
1: That That leads me to, I
2: love what you say, season, reason, or lifetime. One of my favorite things, my college roommate said to me years ago, our freshman year, was that her dad told her this, and I use this a lot, is that nothing too bad or too good ever lasts Mm. too long. Mm. And so that's been something good because it applies to like so many things. (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good one. And even being a new mom, um, people gave me advice that everything's just a phase, you know? Yeah. So those like sleepless nights or colic or her being sick and all the little things, um, I remember advice that was given to me was, um, that everything is just a phase and it reminded me of nothing too good or too bad ever lasts too long. And it's, it's really true. I this
1: too that. shall pass,
2: right?
0: Yes. It's yes. Everything. And with kids, the one that always sticks out for me is, uh, the days are long, the years are short. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. Like you want to pull your head out, your hair out many, many days, and we, I remember saying, like, I will do whatever. Like, I don't care how bad the days are going to be. Just give me a baby. Yeah. And then you're there and you want to pull every hair out. And then before you know it, you blink. And as cliche as it sounds, like a year has gone by. So yeah. I love it. I yeah. love it. Well, I love you all. I thank you so much for doing this. And, um,
1: thank you you for all your help. I I can't, I can't thank you enough personally.
0: You're welcome. DM. Danielle, I was gonna say Danny, but I'm like, I've never called you Danny. (laughs) That doesn't sound right, but Danielle, I'm still with you girl. So you check back in with me when you're going next. And Amber, so good to see your face. I'm sending you both so much love. Thank you. Thank you so much, Amber and Danielle for coming on the show. And thank you for listening to the fertility check. Please don't forget to share, share, share. Screenshot this episode, tag us wherever you can. It means so much to us. We're trying to get the word out about these incredible stories. And while you're at it, follow me at Feeder. At the fertility chick at Encircle Fertility on Instagram. I wanted to share a little bit of perspective on a question that came in while I had a blast working on Maggie Lawson's podcast, Me Time with Maggie. She and I had such an incredible chat. And a question came in about an OBGYN asking a patient all the time about wanting to have children. And I actually wanted to offer the The side that I think it's fantastic that her doctor asks all the time. I don't know that she wants to have children and maybe she doesn't know. And that's the part that makes her uncomfortable, which makes complete sense. But I love that this doctor is trying to be proactive and get her to pay attention to things like her hormone levels and whatever testing might be done. Because some of the biggest problems are that doctors don't do that. So I just want to offer the perspective that it's one thing for your mother to always be asking you that question or your best friend's mother or the pharmacist that's filling your prescription. But if your OBGYN is asking, let's try to frame that as a positive because she's trying to get your body in order for the best possible time. And on that note, I hope you all had a beautiful holiday weekend and I can't wait to see you next week. Thanks for listening.